Hi, I'm Alison Sandy. I'm Brian Seymour. And it's a croaky Sally Layden today. Welcome to Conversations 11. And yes, poor Sally isn't well today, but um, we we're we going to go along anyway. She's she's come come up to the studio to do this regardless. So thank you very much. Now, um, we have a very special guest with us today. Mark Levison, welcome to Conversations 11. Um, for those of you who don't know, Mark has faced a similar journey to Sally when he lost his son Matthew in 2007. Mark, tell us about that. Good morning and thank you. Yeah, our manner was uh, in some ways rather similar to Sally's, in other ways quite different. Um, our son, Matt, went missing in 2007 and we, sadly we knew from the outset that um, he wasn't going to return and uh, that he'd been killed. Uh, we uh, dealt with police as Sally has done and I was raised on the parents to you know, trust authorities and to to uh, understand that the police had our best interests at heart and were doing the right thing for us. Well, so I thought. Our, our case almost went cold for six weeks. Um, this is not about police bashing. It, it, it's about making objective comments on, on what's happened. And when I heard the conversations broadcast, the last two episodes in particular, the anger in me welled when I heard the way that Sally had been treated um, and I just had to speak out because uh, uh, you've got to stand up and complain. Um, we learned to do that after a while, but not at the start. We didn't know to do that. We thought that the police were looking after us, but not realising that they were looking, in a lot of cases, after themselves, waiting for a promotion, waiting to retire, um, doing a job that was beyond them. Uh, they weren't trained to do some things that were done in, in our investigation, and it wasn't until we made a lot of noise and, and uh, um, complained to the highest levels that we could at the time that they started to listen and investigators were changed on Matt's matter. And at that point, things started to move. And, and of course, your, your story did start very similarly to Sally's. You know, a loved one missing, uh, I think two days after he went missing, Matt, you um, you reported him missing to the police. How would you describe the investigation in those initial um, weeks and months and years into your son's disappearance? Initially, we reported Matt at our local police station missing. The uh, constable at the counter took our, our brief details and uh, we just felt that uh, you know, they, they had the impression, oh, yeah, young gay kid, he's gone on a bender, he'll turn up. And oh. it wasn't until... But what that wasn't said, but that's the impression we got. And it wasn't until the Thursday of that week uh, that Matt's abandoned car was found uh, with a receipt from Bunnings in the back of the car with uh, uh, the police then going to Bunnings and seeing his partner purchasing a matic and cloth tape uh, the previous weekend. So at that point they thought, this is damn serious, and they started to act. But uh, the initial police weren't fans of the media, and uh, they said, for goodness sake, don't talk to the press, and us knowing they're better, it was what we were told. And um, it wasn't until week six that the police bothered to have a uh, full-on media release, and uh, at that point, it's gone. The, the case is too cold. It's, it's just let go. And poor Sally, we're talking more than two decades. Yeah. It does make it tough. How are you feeling listening to this, Sally? Uh, hi, Mark. I apologise for my voice today. I'm sounding very sexy. Um, 
but no, I've I've followed your story as well with obviously great interest and um, sadness, and you know, I there are certain stories. Um, the teacher's pets, another one with Lynette Dawson. I look at those particular stories, and I think there's so many similarities to my story so I know I'm not alone in this um, and I'm hoping that all the work that we're doing and the work that people like yourself have done previously will help make a change to what's happening with missing persons in Australia because you know we are supposed to be one nation yet I find that um, I was watching an SBS um, doco or show um, yesterday actually and I was just actually stunned to sit back and watch police talk about you know, how we're not united in um, a national um, registry. And I think someone brought up the, the fact that if someone went missing from Queensland and then they turn up at a South Australian hospital and they've had a concussion or they've been hit on the head and they don't know or they've just simply lost their mind and they don't know who they are and they rock up at a hospital, um, there's no connection or there's no communication between Queensland and South Australia so that South Australia can pull up a missing persons database quickly, have a quick look at that and go, oh, that person's missing from Queensland. Let's let's alert them that we actually have that person here. Um, and the fact that the details aren't checked off, like I'm one of the things I'm stunned about with my Freedom of Information documentation is that I've got lists of checklists of what they have sent out to other states um, looking for my mum's details and they've literally ticked that she's Caucasian. They haven't ticked that, you know, she has a mole, a very distinctive mole in her right eye under her pupil or that she has black hair or what the colour of her skin is or, you know, any potential marks, like she has a scar underneath her nose um, where she had something cut out. So things like that, like I find it really interesting that when I'm looking at a report on the fact that they've sent this out for everybody to do an investigation to see if they know who this person is, that's not a lot of information to go off. Yeah, and I know you went through Freedom of Information. Can you tell us about that, Mark? Sure, sure. We approached them many times, as Sally knows. Each time you approach them, you pay. And um, we were knocked back every time. And, and uh, uh, we just wanted more information because the police, uh, at the time as we were approaching them, our case had gone cold and um, it hadn't been reinvigorated <laughs> at that point. And, uh, we were doing our own work. Uh, we were searching for Matt, and uh, you know, our chance of finding him was quite small, minuscule, but we were never going to give up. And um, we tried to get all the information that we could uh, to help us to find Matt, and uh, there was nothing but roadblocks put in our way. And uh, we just had to keep fighting. Each time there was a new roadblock, knock it down to get the next one. And uh, it was just so annoying, and, and uh, I, I feel Sally's frustration because it, it wasn't until... When that formal inquest was held, I was appointed counsel for the family, and um, luckily I was because at that point I was given access to every single thing and more. Uh, but that's what it took to get all that information. Yeah. So can you tell us about that process? I mean, how, how did you get the inquest in the first place? And then I guess what come of it? Like as in, you know, for those who don't know Matt's story, you know, what was the actual findings? Sure, sure. The... Um, the inquest was brought about by, again, lots more complaints. The inquest was, in fact, started very early on in the investigation um, after Matt was missing, and uh, there was some preparation for an inquest done, but then that was um, stalled when uh, Matt's partner was charged with his murder and manslaughter. 
um, that case went ahead. He was acquitted in the Supreme Court of both charges. And then after that time, there really wasn't much done for a few years. Um, we were lobbying to get rewards increased and uh, and have the case reinvestigated. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and Matt, it was is not until 2016, nearly 10 years later, that um, Mr Atkins, your son's former partner, gave evidence at that inquest when it resumed, almost 10 years later. Yeah, so he was, he was um, uh, fought or compelled to give evidence by the coroner. And... Um, the catch is, of course, when that occurs under Section 61, um, nothing he says can be used against him in a future yeah. murder or manslaughter trial. So that's one... But again, that's a deal that we were aware of, and uh, we were happy to do that because our goal was to bring Matt home. That was yeah. number one goal. So if he wasn't charged for murder or manslaughter, we were going to wear that in order to get, to get Matt brought back. And uh, he gave police an induced statement, and uh, from that induced statement, um, they were able to locate Matt's remains in the Royal National Park. And after many, many different searches, three searches in fact, um, we found his skeletal remains in a shallow grave um, just down near the waterfall. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And three searches. See, that just makes you think, you know, with that, that tip-off with Crime Stoppers that Sally got about her mother's remains, where they did one search and... With one dog and one dog handler. I mean, I know Gary mentioned that there was SES there as well, but I wasn't told that initially. And I, you know, I, I must be honest when I say this, that when I see other people... Um, and I know times have changed in 22 years too, but looking at poor Theo... Um, the backpacker from Byron who's gone missing, but the amount of effort and work that went into trying to find him and SES workers searching through grass and things like that, I feel like I've never had that opportunity, even though someone has run Crime Stoppers and said there's a location. It rained when they went there too, so I, I really question whether we should go back there I or police too. should be going back there and doing a proper search. And I'm more than happy to walk with them and, and do that, as I'm sure my my husband and my kids would do as well, you know, just because that's what we do. But um... It is, and I'm sure many others would as well. I mean, we we did three searches, and in the first search, at the end of eight days of the police digging in the place, Atkins had told him, told the match remains were, mm. we couldn't find him. The yeah. police said to us on that last afternoon, look, here's some white flags. Faye and I, one of our sons, we stood there, they said, look, if you... Anywhere you get a gut feel Matt could be in this area, put a flag in. We'll dig it again. We'll dig deeper. We'll dig around. It's just put a flag down and we'll yeah. we'll go again. And mm-hmm. there's a picture taken us in the paper holding those flags and we're standing right in front of the tree where Matt was found under in the third search. Yeah, wow. And I remember yeah, watching you guys go, do that and then taking the tree back to your house. We can go so close. You know, that's amazing. Yeah. Mark, my, my heart goes out to you. I can't think of anything, anything worse than losing a child. Um, how did you cope during that time? I mean, obviously it meant so much for you to be able to find his remains. Why was that so important? As, as Faye says a lot, we, our goal was to not pay our way. Oh, I'm 61 now, Faye's 59. Our goal was not to go to our graves and leave this problem for our other two sons, mm. Matt's older and younger brother. We didn't want them to continue their lives not knowing and searching um, after we were gone. So it was our mission to do this. We thought as parents that it was what we had to do. And can I ask yeah. you a personal question too, Mark? Please. Like, how did, how did the, the stress of all of this affect you and your wife? Like, did you... I mean, I'm in a different situation because this is my mum, 
So it's my husband's mother-in-law. It's not like it's our child and we were united as one. But, and I mean, Chris and I are fine, but there are times when it gets quite stressful and I, I don't know when I'm supposed to pull back from that. Like, how did you, how did you guys cope with the stress of that as, a, as far as a relationship goes? Oh, good question. We, we cope well and not well. Um, yes, they have good and bad days and, uh, um, you know, People often see us in the press, in the, in the front of the media, and we're all happy and rosy. But it's not always like that. We have good and bad days as well. Yeah, and okay. Many of our, we call our murder friends. I mean, their their marriages have broken up through the loss of some. It's so mm. so stressful. In our case, I think it's a very something you have to work at, right? Like absolutely. In our case, we think it's probably strengthened us because we're working together towards a common goal. Yeah. Um, but you're not. You know, you're not wrong. You have good and bad days, and mm. it's not always rosy. Mm. And can I just make the point on on the importance of getting that coronial inquest and and coming back to it after all that time? Mr Atkins, Michael Atkins, was acquitted, as you say, of murder and manslaughter and uh, at, at trial. So under the double jeopardy laws, he couldn't be retried for that crime. But what the coronial inquiry did was that it, it impelled him to give evidence and it was giving evidence then that he was caught in a lie, wasn't he? Mark, yes, and, 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 that, and that led to a very unique and unprecedented deal which enabled you eventually, after making an impossible choice, to bring your son home. Can you tell us about that? Well, what me don't know about was the third deal. Uh, we've discussed about Section 61 and being excused from murder and manslaughter. After testifying for the week in the witness box, um, he, he admitted to lying to the coroner's court and lying to yeah. police in the investigation. So we had him on, on, on perjury. And because he involved murder and um, many, many years uh, with no contrition, uh, they were going for the top end, which would be nearly near 10 years. So the deal was struck that um, with the approval of the, of the Attorney General, um, that Jaffrey had to go, that uh, he would be excused um, from, from perjury. Up until that point on that Friday, when he finished testifying, if he gave us a statement that would help us to recover Matt's remains. And uh, we uh, agonised again over that next deal, and uh, with our approval again, that was done. And, and we, we had hoped that at least with that deal done, we might get in for any friend with a corpse. And hopefully, you go to prison for a couple of years, and uh, we plug something bad might happen to him in prison. But uh, what we didn't know was his counsel came back to um, police, and the head of homicide approved an extension to the deal uh, that he would be excused from all charges if you go, it's Matt's remains. Yeah. Had we have known about the third deal, I don't think we'd have changed our, our tone, but we'd, we'd have liked to have known that. So um, the information he gave, um, uh, the coroner didn't regard it as as worthy of being contested in court under examination or cross-examination. Um, she treated it mainly as, as BS, um, but she the only thing that, the only important thing out of that whole statement that mattered was location of Matt. If Matt was found then Atkins gets off charges. So that's why the police did a third search. Uh, after information given in the statement, they did a second search trying to apply those facts he gave them to the same road to another site. It didn't work, and that wasn't there. And the police thought, if we don't search that first site again, his counsel can argue that we didn't do our job properly, we went thorough in the search, and that was there, we just didn't find him. So they thought, we'll do it again with a different method of searching, and... Um, on the 8th afternoon, we had about two hours to go on the coronial warrant and about three quarters an hour of digging time to go with the two backhoes. And um, they decided to pull out a, a small palm tree, which had grown up near a big 
very large palm, and uh, within minutes of that, that palm being taken out, um, they call Gary Julian, who's in charge, over to the um, the site there, and Gary's there all the time. They often have discussions, that so wasn't anything unusual, and then Gary walked across to us and said, we've got him, we've found him. Now, his DNA wasn't confirmed for four or five days, but uh, that was wearing a, um, a black Morgan singlet with plasticized lettering, the word Morgan, across his chest and some stars. And although there was no clothing left, uh, we found the plastic leathers there uh, in his remains. And so we knew from the moment they found him, it was him. Wow. Mm. And how, how, how did you feel then? Was it a bit bittersweet? It was. It was. It was. It was. To me, it was a huge, huge relief, and to say it was both. It was a huge relief, but also that we were the realization that there was never any chance of that coming back. Um, um, she had like that little glimmer of hope that, that everything could be wrong and that could be up there somewhere, and of course, he wasn't, and and um, recovered being. That's just amazing. Yeah. And we, in fact, in our searching, had searched that site not as extensively as police had done, but. Uh, we discounted that site because it was near a walking trail. Uh, we thought, well, you know, um, people would smell remains here if, if anything was, was there. And uh, luckily for Atkins, he, he buried Matt um, under some soft clay, which was moist and actually sealed sealed that in pretty well. So, Mark, um, just while we've got you here, um, because obviously Sally's um, mum went missing 22 years ago, when you say you, you listened to conversations and, and, and you got angry, what made you frustrated and angry uh, about Sally's case and the investigation? Hearing the way that the police had uh, uh, removed her from the missing person register and Sally hadn't been told, mm. many, many, many um, uh, events that have occurred through the course of this investigation that, that Sally's not been kept informed of, it's not hard. You know, we argued many times with our police just stay in touch. Now, I've spoken twice to the Police Academy at Goulburn to uh, detectives going through the homicide course um, and speaking on what a victim expects from an investigation. And it's just, you just want to be kept in the loop because if you hear nothing, you assume nothing's happening. Yeah. Um, you know, literally at an arranged time, once a month, once a quarter, to twice a year, a quick phone call, yeah, good day, it's Billy Blocks here from so-and-so station. Um, we're on the case still, but there's nothing... You've been trading since our last call, we'll get back to you. At least you know it's not forgotten. And, and, and yes, yeah, Sally, she feels forgotten. Um, that, and that's just terrible. That shouldn't happen. Um, and, and, you know, worst of all, they don't even consider, uh, at some points in the past, they don't even consider there is a case to look at. Well, that's the thing. And, and what, how did it strike you hearing that the police both at the same time, assume that Marion went missing of her own volition, but then admit, and, um, you know, the, the detective on the case told me this when I interviewed him, we've never cited her, we've never spoken to her, and yet we've, we've, we're, we're making the decision that we know what's happened, that she's decided to go missing. What do you make of that? It, it sounds to me like an easy way out. That um, we, we can close this one, that's, 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 uh, it's just an easy one, we can, we can move on to another, 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 another matter other than this one. And that's wrong. It, it deserves, you know, this is an individual. It deserves being looked at more thoroughly. Um, you would wonder how these investigators would feel if it was their loved one, what they would expect uh, police to do. Yeah. And Sally, this is really close to home for you. I mean, are you okay? Because I know that, you know, just hearing what Mark went through in the end, I mean, obviously you're, you want an outcome. 
Um, do you feel ready for that? Um, I don't know. I, f- I feel quite numb, I think. I was saying to somebody yesterday, I just feel like all my emotion is now drained from the whole thing and I'm just telling a story now in hope that somebody can come forward or somebody can tell us a clue that might help us find her. And, you know, Alison always says it's a relentless quest of a daughter. Well, it really is simply that. I am just really want to know what's happened to her. And, you know, the perfect scenario would be that she's alive and well and happy. However, my gut feeling tells me that that's not the case. So um, I don't get myself worked up to a situation where I'm preempting what's going to happen because I just need to um, get there first and then, you know, I think I'll be... Like, if I... I think if I was in uh, Mark's situation in finding mum in a situation like that, I think I would have a, a an immense breakdown, actually. I don't think I would... Because I've bottled it up for such a long time and I'm, I feel like I'm doing this solo, um, even though you guys are here and helping and all the rest of it, I'm still effectively doing this by myself and it all falls on me. So um, there's a lot of pressure on me as well to try and find her and find what's happened. As in you're, you're her daughter, like only you can feel like, you know, that um, because, yeah. Well, even Chris, I mean, he's my husband. We've been together for 22 years, but I don't think he would have the same... Um, it would have the same effect on him. He'd probably be very relieved that I could have a rest and I could take a break from the stress of it all. The same as Ella. Ella said the same thing, my 17-year-old. She's like, I just, I think it would be nice for for me to find her so that I could have a rest and just take some time out for myself, if that makes sense, like, because it's a constant stress on my on my head that um, doesn't go away. So, you know, finding her regardless, um, dead or alive, is my mission to... Because I've said many times, like, I would... If I had not gone down this path of trying my best... I mean, I've been looking for her for 20 years. I've had some people comment on my Facebook page and say, oh, well, you've only just started looking for her. And I'm like, I've been looking for her for 22 years, but I've had so many doors shut in my face. And when you don't have any power behind you, you, you're, you're sort of facing... I don't know, I feel like I'm facing against another entity, like they're working against me, so there's never any positive that comes back to me from it. I mean, that helped you too, Mark, the exposure, isn't it, when they told you to stay away from the media, I suppose, but then when media finally got involved, it seemed to make a difference. Of course it does. It it creates public interest and raises the elevation of the case. Um, If I can tell you a story of how that helped us as well with one of the rewards, do we need that? Yeah. All right. We applied for, well, we were speaking to, to Gary Juven before the inquest started, and um, we thought it would be a good time to have the reward increased from 100000 to 200000 um, That was um, in the October before the inquest started in, in December. The inquest began, and, and um, Gary said to me, oh, gee, it was a shame about the reward. And I said, well, what do you mean, shame? He said, well, it got back, got knocked back. Weren't you advised? I said, no. Again, oh. told us the thing. So um, I sent off a very stiff complaint to the then police commissioner and they apologised that we weren't advised. And um, when they were doing the, the second crime scene search, there was a lot of media about Matt's case and I thought, let's try and use this. So we wrote to the new police uh, minister and uh, asking, you know, 
recommending that stage that they've increased the reward for Tyrrell to a mil. We thought, well, we're not asking for we're asking for 250 so ask for more this time. And uh, um, I sent off the email to the commissioner, and I, I, I said, minister, I should say, and I, I wrote, uh, I put my copies onto Twitter at 10.45pm on Monday night, and Faye put it on Matt's Facebook pages. At 3 o'clock the next day, I had a phone call from from the police minister. He rang and said, look, we want to let you know we support your application. You've got your 250. It took 16 hours. Wow. Once you'd gone yeah, public, yeah. yeah. And, and and I can say, Sally, listening to you talk then, um, you know, it's it's my situation's different, but it all came flooding back. I, I, I looked for my father for 20 years. I, I was compelled to know. I had to know who he was. Uh, I thought I'd find a grave or a photo. I, I hit the jackpot. I, I found my dad and I got to know him. But again, I I only found him, and I would never have found him otherwise, by going on a television show, Enough Rope with Andrew Denton. So, so the power of the media and what you're doing now with us, I, I think we're going to find the answer you need, Sally. I don't oh. know what the answer is going to be, but I think we're, we're going to find it. That is definitely the case. Um, and... We, um, I know Brian's also obviously approaching politicians now as well, which is great. We don't have a reward. People often say, what difference would it make if she went on the missing persons registered slash database again? And that, you know, getting a reward, getting, you know, all the, there's a lot, um, a lot more to being on the missing persons register than just being on a list. It means um, there are certain protocols and procedures that police have to go through. I mean, I know they don't have a missing persons unit at the moment, but they've got a, they're obviously going to do up some sort of um, uh, form of one or, or new, new type, whichever way, whichever form it takes, it will be still um, missing persons. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, it, and it will be an active case. Yeah, uh, and it will be an active case that requires not just when somebody has time yep. to look into it, um, you know, if they get time. Um, it is actually, they have to make time. There is, you know, it makes yep. a big difference. We've got a list of things that only the police can do, a long list of things that we need them to do now. Yeah. So if she's on the register, those things can get done. Absolutely. So that petition, change.org... Just Google change.org, Marion Barter. It's all on, it's on about a thousand times on our Facebook site as well. Thanks, Jen Marsh. And um, yeah, just sign it, please, because it will make a huge difference for Sally. And also, um, just a bit of an update, and um, you might be, um, I don't know if you had to go through anything like this, uh, Mark, but we, uh, we was, we've been through this, the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, um, and we've got a decision pending on, I guess, a, a a less redacted version of the police file into Marion's disappearance, um, which comes down the 22nd of July. Now, we've since heard back from police with submissions that they're no longer trying to fight us uh, on release of, of some of the information, or all the information, actually, that we're seeking, including the um, reasons why she was taken off the missing persons register. And you know why that's the case? I reckon that's happened because they, they're starting to realise Sally is not going to go away. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, they have to realise that. Sally is certainly not going anywhere. You know what, Mark? I actually think that that's what they thought. Like, I I think back 22 years walking into Byron Bay, and I really think... I think they just thought, we'll just mark this as an occurrence. It's a little bit too difficult to work it out. She's 51. She's been married and divorced three times. She's clearly just gone missing on her own account, so we're just going to say it's an occurrence and no further investigation required. 
back then in the like and the fact that they didn't even tell me that they hadn't put her on the missing persons list like I'm sitting there like you were saying you know you put all your faith into the police I gave them her bank details and everything which they've evidently lost and um, you know I put all my faith in that they would do the right thing by my mum and by my family and you know turns out that wasn't the case so of course because this is the first time you've been involved with the police investigation so you do trust them as we did and in the end we got some sensational police yeah get to that point yeah well hopefully you know i mean i think i think gary's done a very good job of and he's done more than anyone else has um, on the case, but there's more definitely that can be done, and I just I feel like I need someone to fight for me. I really feel like you need a champion in the place. I just need someone who's just going to say, you know what? There's more to this than meets the eye. I'm going to keep nagging my boss or whoever it is that I need to do more on this, and that's what hasn't happened. And you know, when I sit back and I'm, I mean, I'm not. I shouldn't be the one coming up with the ideas of how to investigate, but that's what's been happening. And you know, since 2016, pretty much, I've been banging my head against the wall since I found out the documents that said that they marked her located and uh, have a date that they've just seemingly pulled out of the air to say that that's when they located her because then they come back and say they haven't actually located her. Um, you know, since that happened, I just. I've been like a dog with a burn going, that this, there's something not right here. Um, and I'm being told and misled by the information that's been fed to me. And when I sit there and do a big, long letter about all these ideas, like checking passenger lists, and, you know, that was all, that was all me. Um, and to be told my hands are tied, I can't do anything, um, I get that, but fight harder. Like, there's, there's something not right with this case. And the fact that she's been missing and hasn't been seen or heard of since her Medicare card was used in Grafton in September of 1997, something is not right. Something's not right. Of course not. And we did. We have gone through the, the front door um, with all those in lines of inquiry um, and more. Like you know, there's you, you, the more you dig, the more uh, avenues you find to you know that you have to go down. And thanks to our 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 sleuths, our network of sleuths who keep coming up with questions and everything as well. We find different things that we, we need to check. And, um, and yeah, Brian and I have gone through the front door with media and then, you know, more often than not, including with Commonwealth Bank, which is what we'll get on to next, um, they've come back and said, well, we need police to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, same with the airlines, same with the airport, you know. It doesn't matter which avenue I go down or what we find, we um, we take it to them and it's always, you need to go through police. You need to go through New South Wales Police. So it's a very tricky situation to be in because when New South Wales Police have said, well, we've suspended, finalised the case and we don't have time to work on it, what what am I left with? You know, I'll go to the coroner even. He says, well, it has to come from New South Wales Police. I'm like, oh, my God, are you serious? Like, I've got no other avenue except the power but, of the people and the power of, you know, Brian and Alison and Channel 7 helping me with this. That's that's all I've got. And that's that's why I'm glad. Actually, I've got to follow up on that homicide review or that, sorry, homicide review, that mm. um, police review into um, Marion's case in relation to the coronial inquest application that Sally's made. So we need to now, they were going to do a review on this. It's due this week. I will follow that up. We will have something for episode 12 of our podcast, which is coming out at the end of the month after the NCAT decision and the documents are handed down. 
Um, speaking of people that are referring everything to the police again, the Commonwealth Bank has since done the same thing in relation to withdrawal slips that we've applied for um, to compare the handwriting. So um, we're also asking them to, to, to talk to us about the, at least, even if it's not specifically about Marion's case, at least about the bank procedures to talk to us on camera, you know, to tell our listeners um, and, you know, for the podcast, I think, and for TV, I think it's, it's important to find out, you know, what are the procedures? What happens when someone takes out $5,000 a day for three and a half weeks? Yeah, and the problem we've got is we've got so many people coming to us going, I used to work at the Commonwealth Bank and this is, this is the process back then and then someone else comes and says something that's contradictory to that. So I think it would be really great for the Commonwealth Bank to be able to come and give us clarity mm. on what happens when someone comes in and to the bank and asks for $5,000 a day. You know, people have come forward and said, well, I worked in a little country town like Byron Bay was. I know everyone thinks Byron Bay is this massive, big, Metropolis. you know, cruel, cool town now, and it is now. It wasn't in 1997. It's still not that big. No. Do you know what I mean? So we're, we, you've got to pull yourself back 22 years ago, and it, it was still a nice, beautiful destination, but it was certainly not what it is today. You didn't have the Hemsworth boys buying there and all the A-listers going there for their holidays. It wasn't what that was back then. So... Um, it was a small country town, and I've had people say to me, you know, the fact that if you add up just $5,000 every day for a week, it's unlikely that they would even hold that amount of cash in a bank like that. So, and um, the, um, the problem is, like, I've got people questioning me going, well, was it cash? Did she take cash over the counter? Was it a check? Was it electronically transferred? And I'm like, you know what? I don't know that information. I'm not privy to that. And unfortunately, there's a lot of information that they could simply tell me that wouldn't make any difference to her privacy or not um, and the restrictions that come with that, which would give us a bit of a guideline as to how the money was, you know, actively used because we're sitting here going, well, five grand a day, you'd probably remember that, but if it was electronically transferred... Would she need to go in the bank to do? That? I just, I just, yeah. Don't know. I mean, like, like we're convinced that that's what she would have had to done. That's what we're told. But again, Commonwealth Bank needs to clarify that. At, the, at this stage, you're talking of a statement, which I think is a bit <coughs> of a uh, weak way to deal with it. Um, they should just be on the front foot and just come and just talk to us, talk to our listeners. Um, and then, um, and obviously they, they say that they'll never put a branch manager up. So we are going to Byron again soon. Um, and that will be part of episode 12 as well, but they're not going to put um, the, the Byron Bay branch manager up. Hopefully they'll at least let us in to, for Sally to put up some posters of a mum. Um, and yeah, so we'll go, we'll go from there. But just so you know, um, there's going to be a lot in episode 12. There's so much that um, that we're going to have to cram into it, including, sorry, and then I'll, I'll get on to Sal's list, Ron Idles, the good cop. I'm going to be speaking to him now. He's very interesting. He's um, he's now retired, but he's, uh, for people who don't know, he, he's famous for coming out of retirement to um, to investigate cold cases, uh, and he's got a lot to say. Very interesting, a, a unique look, and also someone who obviously knows police the way the police work and the police um, force itself. Um, so that will that will be really good. Now, Sal, um, we might... Well, a couple of first things I know we just touched on quickly. Leslie, you did catch up with her. We won't go into that. Leslie's just... Just except to say that um, she's talking to you, which is great. Yeah, it was nice. I, um, Ella and I, my daughter, 
decided to go on a road trip last Friday. Sorry, I should say Leslie Leslie Loveday is the one of uh, Marion's good friends, the last person she was with um, before she went overseas. She was living with us, so just to clarify anyone who's new to the Lady Vanishes. Yeah, so um, and it was it was just nice. Like we'll go into it in a bit more detail a little bit later on, but um, I took her some flowers and I think she said it was good to see me and um, have a chat. And um, it was good for me too. Like I walked away from that and I said to Ella, I feel much better now, you know, because there's been a lot of uncertainty and a lot of questions um, surrounding her. So, um, yeah, we're, we're in a good spot now. So we'll, we'll keep, um, keep you updated with the Leslie, Leslie story. Um, there was a few things I did manage to ask her, things like I asked if she knew what airline mum was on when she was flying because um, she did actually drive mum down to the bus to get on the bus um, for mum's trip to the UK. Um, however, she doesn't recall any of that information. Um, I did also ask her about the mail being forwarded because it was her address that um, mum had left as a forwarding address. And she sort of said to me, oh, do you remember I came down and saw you at work and I gave you some, some mail and I think the banks there was bank slips in there or she sort of mentioned something about um, the banks contacting her with a super or something like that. But um, to be honest, it's such a long time ago too and I've got a pile of mail that has Leslie's address on it as the um, forwarding address, but it's only, um, excuse me, Medicare stuff. It's not, I don't have any bank stuff. So I can't remember. I was racking my brain after she telling me that saying, well, did I give that to the police when I went down to Byron? I just don't remember. And I, I don't, I, it, it's such a long time ago. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it, it, it's good that you're, you're talking with Leslie and, and hopefully, um, you know, you, you'll keep talking and, and who knows what, what might be job free. Yeah. And you know, she yeah, has, okay. she has proclaimed that she's been working with Gary. She's very happy to work with Gary. So, um, I'll keep everyone updated on that, but I'll tell you a little bit about, um, what's happened during the week. I, I did quite a bit of work earlier in the week and then, um, trottled down to the Gold Coast on Friday, as I said, with Ella. So first stop was Leslie. Um, second stop was uh, the solicitor that holds the will, uh, Mum's will. Um, I met with his secretary. I took in a poster that we've made to give to him and his um, firm, I guess, so that he could um, just have an idea. And, and just so I could be personable with him, I've only spoken to him on the phone, so I wanted to meet him in person, but unfortunately he was still on holidays, so I think he's back this week. Um, so I am going to call him and ask him if um, he can have a look at the will and if um, he's able to... I'm guessing that if I'm the person who's executor of the will solely and there's no one else in the will that maybe. I can um, get the will or get some access to the will. So I'll keep you all updated on that. Um, the next point of call for us was the Ferry Road McDonald's and the service station. So this is where Chris and I saw Mum um, the night that she had the guy in the car. So I I tried to pull up in exactly the same spot from what I could kind of work out because um, we were sitting in the McDonald's at the time. So we pulled up there. Um, Ella and I went into the service station. I told the lady what was going on. People sort of gathered around to ask questions and she put the poster um, up in their window literally within minutes. So every time people walk into that service station, um, they're going to see mum's poster, which I think is great because it's a busy service station. It's up the road from TSS. So I'm assuming that there will be parents of TSS or students who might have 
um, being taught by mum who will see that poster in the window. And as I've said before, the McDonald's is adjoining that service station. So we went round there as well. And I had one poster in my hand and the manager, I was telling her the story and then all, all the young staff came up and were going, oh my gosh, what? What's happened? And so she said, have you got more than one poster? So I went back out to the car and I, I've had Ella record me all of this on my phone so that I can try and give everyone a bit of a visual if we can do something with that a bit later. Um, but me walking back to the car and it was interesting to be able to see in the car because people have said oh what do you remember seeing of the guy sitting in the car and um, I would actually like to try and get a Honda Civic and reenact that at nine o'clock at night with the light shining on the um, on the front windscreen so that people can get an idea one of how, how tall you have to be to look like you're tall in that car because I've always said he looked like he was touching the roof but it's a small car so I'm assuming like, Alison's quite tall, but I reckon you would hit the roof of that car. Do you know what I mean? So I think if we do a bit of a reenactment ourselves just to get a bit of a, a visual on what we were seeing at that service Great station. Great idea. Um, but anyway, they popped the posters up everywhere as well, which so I was super, super happy that everyone was getting on board. Um, we then trotted off and went around the corner to Marinda Court. That was Mum's Street. Um, we knocked on all the doors. There was only one person home who was the guy across the road. He welcomed us in. Um, we sat down and had a good chat with him. Um, he kind of didn't know a lot, but he said that he would try and help, and uh, I informed him about our you know, podcast and things like that. And he said, you know, I've always been curious about what's happened over there because he had been approached by somebody else about what had happened with my mum. Um, but he was thinking it was the the lady after mum had left because he'd kind of indicated that your mum had three dogs, didn't she? And I said, no, no, she didn't have any animals. So he then was able to readjust his thought process because he's been there for, I don't know, 20, 26 years or something in that house. So we put posters in the neighbours' mailboxes there. Um, then we headed on down to the art centre so I walked in there, quite friendly staff. I asked them, um, I said, I've got a quite unusual request. Um, explained that mum used to frequent there quite a bit. And it was funny because when I walked in, Madam Butterfly was um, the poster that was obviously showing there. And I was like, that's so funny. I said, Ella, my mum loved Madam Butterfly. Like we always used to, she always used to put the records on. And we used to we'd walk around the house singing and dancing to the music. So, um, so yeah, that was quite fitting that it was Madam Butterfly playing there. The lady said to me um, she didn't have authorisation to put posters up around the place. Um, she'd have to go through manager management. And I said, look, even if you can just put them on the back of the toilet doors for a month or for a couple of weeks, that would be amazing because I really feel like someone here might remember her. I asked if um, – because I'd had someone contact me on Facebook saying that there were people still working there who would, would, would have been working in 1997, and I asked her that question, and she confirmed that that was true. So fingers crossed. I haven't heard back from anybody yet, but if you're listening and you're at the Arts Centre down on the Gold Coast and um, you have seen the poster, give us a give us a shout-out so we know that it's up and – and you can see it or if you've seen it at the service station or at McDonald's, I'd really love to know what the response is and how you guys feel about that and if you think it's helpful. Um, we then went down to Burley. Um, I'd had a lady contact me again via Facebook saying that she was really firm in believing that she'd seen my mum working at a retirement village at Burley. Now, remembering that the money came out of Burley account too for three days in the middle somewhere of that three and a half weeks back in 97. So um, it kind of made sense that 
maybe Burley might be a location to, to search. Um, there's a Mackenzie Group retirement um, village down there. We rocked on in there and um, there was three, two women at the desk and a cleaner who was sort of behind us. And um, I showed them the poster. The manager didn't know, but the woman sitting next to her, she goes, oh, I've seen her face. And I was like, oh, wow, she's actually here. But she said, oh, she's been on the TV, hasn't she? So she'd seen the news article. And then they kind of hand, held it up and looked over to the lady who was cleaning. And she said, oh, I've seen her. She's on the newspapers. And, you know, I've been reading about her in magazines. So it was kind of interesting that three, like two out of the three have actually heard about my mum's story, which is good because it shows me that the story is getting out there and people are hearing about her. Um that lady was really lovely. She actually went in to her computer. She punched in both names to see if there was any um, data records for any of those names, which came up blank. Um, but she did say that she would scan the um, the poster and send it to all of their retirement villages, and that goes all the way from Mullumbimby right up to Varsity Lakes, um, and they'll put it through and circulate it through all of those retirement villages because, as I made a point, you know, she could have dementia now and not know who she is or um you know and be in a retirement village and no one actually knows what her name is or knows who she is um but she's alive and well so and they all thought that was quite a valid point so um fingers crossed that might pull out some wins um and then we went back up to near tss there's a um shopping center there called southport park i put um on the community notices in um coles and woolworths a poster and they they were excellent actually they were like yep we'll put it in here and it was front and center so everybody who's going through those shopping centers and that would have been a, a shopping center I would think because it's across the road from TSS that there'd be a lot of staff and students and you know um, parents who are at TSS who might remember my mum see that poster and it might just you know they might not have heard about the podcast or they might not have heard me on ABC radio or in the news that it might not watch Channel Seven you know you just don't know yeah. so. Um, hopefully that might bring something. We went to Ashmore Plaza, um, Ashmore Plaza hair design. Simone there used to be my hairdresser and she's amazing. And she's, um, I left a poster there for them to see if they could put in their door because they're a busy little hairdressing salon there. And also at the community, um, the community board there, there was a little beautiful decorative shop and I ended up speaking to that lady quite a bit too and she actually remembered my mum. Um, she had a shop in Southport that was a clothes shop um, and she said, I remember your mum coming in there and buying clothes from me and that's the kind of store that my mum would go to, quite unique. Um, so she said, and she knew a lot of parents from TSS and from um, St Hilda's, which is the sister school of TSS. Um, so she said, leave a poster with us. We're going to talk about it. Um, her assistant walked in and I said, oh, it's, we've got a podcast called The Lady Van. She's going, oh, I've been listening to that. Like, so she knew all about it. So, again, you know, very humbling to know that people are actually vested and interested in the story. Now, up behind Ashmore Plaza, there is a Remax um Realty, and turns out after lots of sleuthing, I was pretty proud of myself actually because I did this all by myself. Um, found out that um, the old the Remax used to be called Hartnell Realty, and a lady there, Louise, um, was the real estate agent there. Um, I ended up speaking to the lady at Remax, and she said, "Look, I'll send her an email because we bought the business from her in April this year." 
Um, and I think within minutes of Louise getting that email from her about my story, she rang me and she said um, she was trying to remember. I was trying to, you know, my, my thought process was maybe mum confided in her a little bit or told her what she was doing or where she was going or what her plans were. But she kind of vaguely remembered um about mum and the and the sale of that house, she said that she felt that my mum wasn't a very friendly person, which I found quite interesting because mum was always super friendly and really lovely and always had a nice smile on her face. So, but she was obviously not in a good headspace when she was selling the house. So, probably came across to her like a bit stressed and a bit um, a bit well, angsty. Well, that correlates with what Janice said. Remember? At yeah, the time. correct. So Janice was like, you know, she was a different person when like she came up to see her. Um, and I, I know myself going to stay at her house. She was in tears all the time and not happy. Something has obviously happened. Um, so she wasn't in a good headspace and something was obviously upsetting her for her not to be. Um, she said that it was not uncommon in that street to sell a house very quickly. She said that it's a very – she said if I get a house listing in that, in that street, I'm particularly happy because it's a really awesome street and people are happy to buy in there. So the fact that it's sold in three weeks is not unusual. Particularly cheaply. Yeah, and um, she said, well, she actually went through all the prices, very knowledgeable lady. She's been a real estate agent for 35 years, so she just rattled all this stuff off to me, and she could tell me all the houses that she'd sold in the area and how much they sold for in the same period. So it wasn't out of the ordinary, so maybe there was a dip in the market at the time. I'm not sure, but um, she did go through a lot of the different houses, and mum's house wasn't particularly cheap in in retrospect but obviously she did sell at 15,000 less than she bought it for so um back then that I, was... I just wonder hearing all this um I know Mark's still there you must be overwhelmed listening to Sally talk about all the work she's doing 22 years and still going and, and out there knocking on doors putting up posters um it, it's unrelenting is this relating to you and and what you did totally totally I mean we um I didn't like tattoos before that was killed and uh, one of our murder friends had a tattoo of their loved one and you know, one of the many ones I have now is I've got two on each, one on each forearm <laughs> and one says uh, it's always too soon to quit and, yeah. and the other one says um, winners are losers who don't give up and uh, you know, I, I still look at those daily. Um, that oh, that's beautiful. great. That's great, Mark. I, I can definitely relate to both those, and I have seen a picture of those actually. I did uh, do a bit of googling before okay. <laughs> before this episode, so. Um, but yeah, no, good on your mark. Can I, I mean, make honestly, a point to Sally it's, too. it's to do with the police. I mean, this is when you speak to the police. One approach you know they should be made aware of is that, the, and I hate to use these words in front of Sally, but this the police need to be told is that potentially there's a murderer out there in your community that needs to be brought to account. Yeah. yeah, and it, it's murder is not a word I've used a lot in this. Um, I mean, obviously, if my I've said it before, my gut feeling is that she's met with foul play, and I just feel like her personality and her her person um, is not someone who has the ability to do this. Um, and we've been really, really searching, like a lot of the sleuths that. Um, are helping me particularly and I've mentioned them all before but we've got like a little closed group now where we just all spin information off each other rather than putting it all over the Facebook pages where we're confusing everybody so we're just churning it over. And many, many heads have different interpretations on things that's, that's marvellous really. Yeah thing. and it's awesome and we've we've really just come to the conclusion that my mum didn't, if she was planning on disappearing she didn't do it very well 
you know, the coming back yeah. into, the, into the country and the taking out of $5,000 and the changing of the name by poll and, you know, none of that none of that works well if you're trying to disappear. So the yeah, fact and, that, and like, walking, and Joni said that, she Burley. said she hasn't done it well. Like, correct, yeah. walking around Burley where she could have been seen, oh, um, you know, sending postcards um, to all her family and, um, you know, I actually just got a um, private message from a lady the other day who mum taught her son and I'll post this on my Facebook page probably today and just to show you all because it's pretty gorgeous but she'd written him she'd bought him a book for his birthday and they were leaving to go overseas so she bought him this book and she's handwritten a note in the book and you know um, lots of love and it's dated the 15th of the 12th 1996 so I still think she was in a really good headspace then Um, and that gives you an idea of the kind of teacher she was. I mean, she didn't have to do those things mm. as a school teacher, um, but to, to go out and buy him a book and write him a note about his journey and, you know, she hoped that he loved reading the book and he remembers his time at TSS and, um, you know, much love, you know, to him and um, on his fifth birthday. And, you know, I've said it before that, you know, it was out of character for mum to miss Owen's birthday. That's another example of what she would do for birthdays. Like, she was really big on that and to miss someone's birthday um, was a big deal and that's why it alerted me so much um, that something was wrong when I found out she hadn't contacted him. Now we're going to have to um, finish up soon. So is there anything else anyone wants to say? So just lastly, my last point of call when I went on the road trip um, last week was we went up to Ashmore City and put some notices on the community board there as well. But we also went to the Commonwealth Bank there. So that's actually where mum held her account. Um, it's a, it's different, again, like they've changed and refurbed it all, but I did actually give a poster to the lady, uh, one of the ladies there, and I told her the story and she said, well, I'm the oldest one here and I've been here for 17 years, but she said I can put it up in the staff room if anyone sort of has a vague rem- memory of your mum, I'm happy to do that. But, um, yeah, that sort of saw our day end. We had 10, 10 stops on that day and it was utterly exhausting. I think Ella's sick as well, so I think we both... <laughs> maybe run run down a little bit after talking and I was saying to somebody the other day it's not just walking in and handing someone a poster you walk in and hand them a poster and then I have to like the lady at the craft shop who had the you know the nice trinkets and things like that um, and homewares we ended up being in there for 40 minutes because she was like how do you do this every day like how do you how do you get by like isn't this stressful for you like it was just and that's the thing that's exhausting about and I'm sure Mark's the same you know you're constantly telling people it's not just oh here's a poster do you mind putting it up it's a oh my gosh what happened um and the only places that I didn't have to do that was probably Coles and Woolies because they were so busy serving people but any other person they're like oh what what happened what's what's the story and I guess that resonates back to our trip to Luxembourg and getting a very different um, approach when I'm simply asking somebody do they know about my mum Um, we all know that story so you know it's very different to the response we got over there when you're simply just trying to um, find out what's happened to someone who's missing. Yeah, that's that's so true. Now, Mark, um, one of the best things about having you on here is obviously your inspiration, an inspiration (laughs) to us, um, particularly Sally, and, you know, even just the quotes you have in your arms. I mean, that's an inspiration to any, anyone. It's like, a, you know, having the gold medalist um, in solving mysteries. So thank you so much for, for joining us. And, um, and yeah, is there anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners and Sally? It's just an absolute pleasure to, to, to try in some small way to help 
Sally to spur her on and just let her know that the, um, the obstacles that she's facing, um, she's not alone. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you coming on today and having a chat with us and, um, yeah, and everything that you've done too because you leave a legacy behind. You know, you go to all this effort and um, for me, me for one, in, in the same sort of circumstances as you were in as well, it's nice and comforting to know that other people have was not nice, but it's a it's a comfort to know that I'm not the only one who's had to go through this, and you can get answers if you keep on keeping on. So thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, and th- thank you, Mark, and uh, thank you for joining this family um, and Sally looking for her loved one, her mum, and uh, it's just it's just wonderful to think that that out of something so terrible and the loss of your boy, that that that, that you're doing this and helping us, and and um, his legacy is one of hope and support. And thank you so much for that. Many, many helped us in our time, and we just feel it's our turn to give back. Yeah, yeah good on you, so mate. Thank Marisha. you. You've given us so much hope, and you know, certainly your determination is something shared by all of us. So thank you, and um, yeah, we look forward to catching up with everyone again next week. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you all. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.